Hey everyone, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Mike Morrison to the show. Mike is one half of the Membership Guys, a membership site about membership sites. They have over 3,000 members, run a large blog, have a podcast, and I believe they're on YouTube as well. Prior to that, Mike did freelance agency work for clients, often in the membership site space as well. And last year, they ran their first conference, Retain Live, which I went to here in the UK. And I have to say, it was by far the best run conference I've ever been to. They literally had an ice cream truck in the middle of the lobby during the break. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks for having me on. That that's an awesome introduction. Can we take notes and give them to any of the podcasts I go on? Because you've like really big me up now. <laughs> I like to do my research. So can you please start by just giving I mean, today we're going to talk obviously about membership sites. Can you give us a few examples of successful membership sites to give us an idea of what kind of topics work well with, with a membership site? Yeah, I mean, technically sites like Netflix and stuff like that are memberships, but in the online space, that's not what we think of when we think of memberships. I would say the most successful ones are sites like masterclass.com, which is just a phenomenally successful membership website where all the content is created by celebrities and kind of the biggest names in any given field of kind of creative arts music and stuff like that. You have lynda.com, which was bought out by LinkedIn. Again, that's kind of an e-learning type membership site and kind of getting sort of smaller, but still really successful. You've got a lot of great sites in the music industry like scottsbasslessons.com, which has got about 30,000 bass guitarists as their member base. Drumio.com, which is a phenomenally successful drumming membership. You have fitness memberships like Joe Wicks and people like that have their membership programs. Yeah, the crafting space, the art space, the education space as well. There's a couple of great memberships that are part of our community. There's Jordi Clark from Empowered Educator. She has a membership kind of catering towards early learning. You've got Teaching Packs, which has got tens of thousands of members. Again, they literally provide pre-made packs of educational materials for teachers. Pretty much anything where there's some sort of knowledge transfer or where someone would need support and community and accountability and access to an influencer or an expert, pretty much any field in which you have that, you will find memberships and you will find memberships that are doing very well. So if I have an idea for a membership site, how do I validate that? How do I tell if that's gonna gonna work as a membership, a membership site? You need, uh, in addition to an idea, you need an audience. And what people tend to do is they skip validating the idea and they skip building the audience. And then they wonder why their membership never takes off. If you've already got an audience of following, people on your email list, people in a Facebook group, people who've taken a micro commitment to, to getting more from you, then that's really the place you start when it comes to validating your idea. So you want to be surveying and having conversations with people in your audience to firstly validate that they have the problems that you think they have. So they have the, the challenges, they have the pain points that you think they have. Secondly, to validate that the solution you're thinking of 
in terms of your membership and what the purpose of that membership will be and what sort of content and features and support you'll provide. So you want to validate that that solution actually fits up with that problem. But then you also want to validate whether the connection of the two is so compelling that people will put their hand in their pocket and pay you money to solve those problems because you can have people whose problems are just minor annoyances and they'll read blogs and they'll watch videos on YouTube to solve them but they're not such big pain points that they'll they'll spend money right so you need to validate that and the easiest way to validate whether someone will spend money is to try to get them to spend money so to sell them something before you create your membership now that could be kind of an, an MVP version of your membership, like a watered down, barest possible set of features and content version of your membership. Or the approach that I always like is actually selling a one-off webinar. Mm -hmm. So in most cases, memberships will feature like live training or they'll feature courses, they'll feature educational premium content. And so selling a one-off webinar for around the price that you would probably be looking to charge monthly is a great way to validate the existence of a problem, the appeal of a solution, and the likelihood that someone will pay the sort of price point you're thinking of charging for your membership in order to connect the dots between problem and solution. So those paid webinars, I think it's the easiest way to validate because it's just a one-time thing. You don't have to go all in on a business model of creating paid webinars in order to do a one-time test as a means of validating a membership idea. And would you suggest doing that like as a live webinar or pre-recorded? I would do it as a live webinar. And you know, if you're thinking of having a high-end membership, so most memberships generally the price point, depending on whether it's B2B, B2C, is gonna fall between about 20 to 60 bucks a month. In most cases, B2C, usually it's lower, B2B, usually you can charge a bit more. But if you're thinking, so if you're in that kind of price point, 50 bucks for a one-off webinar, do it live because, again, it reduces how much work you need to put in because, yes, you still need to prepare the material, but you'll know when you deliver something live versus pre-recording it and editing it, you get too perfectionist when mm -hmm. it comes to like pre-making content versus doing it live where you can't be a perfectionist, right? You kind of, you just go with the flow a little more so there's a little less overhead involved. I would say if you're looking at setting up a higher end membership where you're over the $100 a month mark, then maybe you do a series of, of webinars. So you do a three-part masterclass series that is delivered live over the space of two weeks and you space these webinars out, but still do them live as opposed to creating them as a course. Because the great thing is once you've done them and you've got them recorded, then you can edit them, then you can polish them, then you chop them up into a course that you could either decide to sell separately or you then put into your membership later on once you're ready to go. So it sounds like with that approach, you, you kind of hit a fork in the road where you can go with the membership option or you can go with the info product course mm. option. Why should someone go with a membership at that point? Memberships are awesome. <laughs> that's that's not enough of an answer. I just, I love memberships. You know, you don't call your business the membership guys, run a membership on memberships, write books on memberships, podcasts, unless you love memberships. I just love the model for so many reasons. One, it's generally more affordable and accessible to a higher proportion of your audience. So a membership will typically enable you to serve more people. 
Secondly, there's more flexibility. When you're selling a course, you are selling a finished article, right? You create the best course you can possibly create. You try to get everything you can possibly get about a subject into that course. And then you take this finished product out into the world and sell it. With a membership, it's never finished. Your membership will always be changing and adapting and evolving. You don't have to have all of the content you'll ever have on the topic inside your membership from day one. And people understand when they're joining a membership that they're going to be getting something regularly. There's going to be more stuff added to it as opposed to buying a finished product where they're going to look at it and say, okay, well, this doesn't take all the boxes. This doesn't have as much as I would have thought. So... A, that makes it a little easier to sell, a little easier to market, but B, it reduces the the pressure on you to get it right because it's not all or nothing. It's not do or die. And if you get something wrong in your membership, it's okay. You can correct it, you adjust course, and you do better next time. If you release a workshop one month in your membership that you think is going to be insanely popular but actually no one gives two hoots about, then... You haven't totally wasted all of your time going all in on this standalone thing. You just learn that lesson, incorporate that into your strategy going forward. And that applies to marketing. You know, how many stories you hear of people who spend months slaving over a course and trying to get their launch strategy right, and they launch and it just flops and they're screwed because they haven't been earning anything for the last three months while they've been preparing for this launch and everything rested on this launch being successful. And they don't have the breathing room, they don't have the cliff to walk back on if things don't work out how they project that they might. So memberships for me give you all of that. Plus, I haven't even got onto the recurring revenue aspect, which is the thing that attracts most people to memberships in the first place. Recurring revenue isn't as sexy as that one-time big cash injection that you'll get from a from a course launch. But when you go launch to launch, you go through this feast and famine cycle that's similar to working with clients one-on-one, right? If you have a bad launch, that can mess up your entire year. If you have a bad, a bad month in your membership, you've still got this compounded revenue that's built up over time from your previous months, right? And so... You have more stability, you have more predictability, you have more reliability in your income and your business isn't one that is built on two or three do-or-die course launches every single year. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot more risk in big, high-ticket course launches, which I can certainly <clears throat> attest to. It sounds like with membership sites, it's more predictable, more stable, more forgiving maybe. Do you think, all things being equal, a membership site will make more money than the same site if it positions itself as a course. Yeah, potentially. I mean, the earning potential, I don't think, is higher for one versus the other. If you have an amazing course and you line up the right affiliates and you genuinely help people get results and all that sort of stuff, then you're going to do well from it. If you have a membership that does the same thing, you'll you'll earn a lot of money from that. It's just the time to reach the lifetime value of each customer is over a longer period with a membership versus a course. And this is, it's always interesting when people talk about memberships and courses, or maybe they've tried a membership and they've kind of, maybe they've not nailed down their retention strategy. And so they've come away, and uh, there's a, a well-known marketer who I remember reading an article where basically he said, I'm moving away from memberships because 
I find it pointless attracting customers who are only going to stay for 10 months. I might as well just sell a course, right? But that's such a bizarre mindset because the only number in all of this really that matters is lifetime value. If you're selling a $1,000 course, then your lifetime value of that customer is $1,000 and the time to maturity for that lifetime value is one day. If you're selling a $100 a month membership and someone stays for 10 months, then the lifetime value of that customer is $1,000. It's the same. It's just the time to maturity is 10 months versus one day. And so not only does that little extra bit of time give you more space to kind of move the knobs and pull the levers to potentially increase the customer lifetime value and extend the amount of time that they remain a a customer, but also by breaking down the, I suppose you can say the installments that someone pays towards that lifetime value, you make your product more accessible to more people. So, yeah, recurring revenue is great, and you can talk about this business model or that business model, but at the end of the day, it comes down to customer lifetime, customer lifetime value. You could have, I'm not advocating having terrible churn, but you know, if you've got a $50 a month membership and your churn rate is rubbish, so people leave after three months, so you're only making $150 per customer, then switching to selling a, a course for $100 isn't a better a better option. But I see people doing that because they get too wrapped up in, well, this business model will make me more successful. This business model will make me more successful. But when you actually zoom out and look at the, the numbers that matter, then it's a different picture. I think there's maybe a, an element of the grass is always greener on the other, other side. I know yeah. as someone who sells courses, like looking at this recurring revenue from memberships, it always seems like really attractive. But I'm sure the other is the flip side of that is, is also true. You mentioned previously about the type of content in memberships. So you mentioned about having courses, I think workshops, webinars. What is typically inside a typical membership that you guys, you guys see? It depends. It is usually e-learning content. So courses, typically shorter courses than you'll see people charging $1,000, $2,000 for. So they'll usually be narrower in scope and shorter in length. So for example, with our own membership, our courses are generally about two hours, but they're more specific than if we were to go out and just do one grand unifying course. Can you give a few examples of the courses in your membership? Yeah, we've got a course on Facebook remarketing strategies for memberships, which that might be a module in a larger course if we were in the course model rather than membership model. We have courses on managing your membership site, so the actual day-to-day management processes, the logistical side of kind of creating and putting out content, so SOPs and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And then we've got a whole bunch of like the technical walkthrough courses as well, which again, 90 minutes to two hours of us literally doing a screencast click by click, this is how you set up this membership plugin. So in terms of the scope and the specificity, having the membership, if you're putting courses into it, it'll be more along those kind of lines. Workshops, which are generally often live webinars, some people pre-record them because they're just just not comfortable going live, where you're looking at anywhere from 45 minutes to 90 minutes, single topic, essentially kind of covering the same grounds you might do in a course, but maybe it doesn't require that course type structure of breaking things Mm -hmm. down into separate lessons and so on. You'll often get things like 
worksheets, cheat sheets, quick reference guides, anything like that, which is kind of going to make people's lives easier and help them solve their problems. So that type of e-learning content, again, it's going to differ depending on, on topic. We've got people in our community with memberships on choreography. So they've got memberships for choreography teachers. So their content, they've got a huge library of 10 minute long videos. So it's all kind of videos that are just short exercises Mm -hmm. as opposed to one big course or anything like that. So that's kind of the content side. We always talk about the three C's, content, coaching, community. So the content's always, generally always e-learning, courses, workshops, and also things like live Q&As and stuff like that. The community side typically will be either a Facebook group or an on-site forum. I prefer the latter because I'm old school. I came up on online forums in the 90s, so I still prefer the forum discussion format over a Facebook group for a whole bunch of reasons that are probably too boring to go too far into right now. We've had this debate as well. So in, in our community, we use Facebook groups, not because they're better to use, just because more people use them. Well, this is a thing. That is true to an extent, although the last couple of years I've seen more of an anti-Facebook trend. Mm -hmm. So you certainly now, compared to even five years ago when we started our academy and started our Facebook group, which is our free Facebook group as part of our funnel, certainly now there's a lot more people who just flat out refuse to use Facebook, which is always a consideration. But while there are more people generally who are going to be logging onto Facebook on a day-to-day basis, your group is then competing with cat pictures, looking at checking in to see whether your ex-girlfriend has gotten fat or not (laughs) you know like it's competing with rubbish and i swore it's competing with rubbish and so you also have to consider signal versus noise yeah engagement like all engagement is not created equal you'll get a lot more noise and we know this we've got a free facebook group with fifteen thousand people in there and we put a lot of effort into making sure that it's not rubbish like a lot of other large Facebook groups can be. There's no spamming, there's no self-promotion. But I can predict with almost pinpoint accuracy the same 20 questions that will get asked every week because Facebook's don't, Facebook groups don't really have any legacy value. They yeah. don't have a good memory. It's all real time. And that's okay for a free group, but I think in a paid group, it wears thin. I remember being in Ryan Levesque's, but one of the earliest versions of, of his membership man, 2013, 2014. And he had a Facebook group. And I think at one point he had about 15 to 20,000 people in there. And it was just like being blasted in the face with a fire hose. Anytime you went in there, it was just so hectic, so busy. And this was his paid group. And that just wasn't an experience I wanted to replicate. But it does depend on your topic. It depends on what the point of your group is. If it's somewhere, if you just want to give people a place to chat and connect, then yes, a Facebook group is is probably going to be better. If you're going to have something where actually you want kind of more serious, in-depth discussions or where maybe someone might ask a question today and you want to be able to pull up related discussion from two or three years ago, that is still relevant. Forums make that so much easier than something like a Facebook group. What tech do you use for your forum, actually? We'll have to check this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we use Envision Community, otherwise uh-huh. known as, it used to be known as IP Board. It's the best forum software there is, like, bar none. Second place is a one called Zenforo with an X. But after that, there's a big, big gap between that software and other forum solutions on the market. Envision Community is just awesome. It's kind of got the best stuff 
from a, a community layout, but also a lot of the social media type features like liking and followers and mm-hmm. profiles and user tagging, which is is very important feature to have. So yeah, Envision Community, hands down, best forum software there is out there. And since you're operating in a membership on a, a retention model, I guess the community plays a much bigger ask is much more important in getting people retained, I guess. Yeah. Uh, because that, you know, maybe they go through your content, but are they really paying for your content after that? Or is that more like they're buying the content at the start, they stay for the community? That's kind of it. There's a lady who's like one of the biggest experts in kind of community dynamics. And she was the one who coined the term, people come for the content and stay for the community, a lady by the name of Vanessa DeMauro. And that's true for memberships. They'll come for the content, they stay for the community. Now that doesn't mean that they'll watch your courses for a couple of weeks and then afterwards your content is meaningless because they'll still consume content, but that's often not the main driver. Once someone has solved their immediate problems or even, you know, kind of reached the outcome that they were looking for, during their time in your membership, if they've been in your community, they'll be creating connections, building relationships and getting so many other benefits in terms of accountability and support and camaraderie that you just can't you can't give them in a course, right? It's the stuff that's kind of going to kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and kind of where where kind of belonging and kind of safety and and stuff comes into that. Your community ticks a lot of those boxes. And when I talked before about the three C's, content coaching community, the coaching element is often something that the community ticks the box for as well. Because if you're running a membership where you're the expert, you're the figurehead, you're the influencer. When people join, they're going to have an expectation that you'll be inside the community too and that you'll be weighing in on their discussions and giving your insights and advice. So in that way, you kind of get to provide a little bit of that coaching element as well, which again is another reason to be in your community rather than just in Joe Blog's random Facebook group if they know that that's where you're hanging out too. Do you think it takes a certain type of person to run a membership sort of continuously to be involved, to interact with people like that? Does it tend to be more extroverts or introverts or is there a profile here? I don't think so. We've got all shapes and sizes of of personalities and experiences and backgrounds and cultures. I think you have to find something that fits what you want to do day to day. I don't think extrovert, introvert is a factor. Myself and Callie are huge, huge introverts, but we also have raging extroverts who are are running successful memberships as well. I think it's more about the answer to the question of, in five years' time, your job, 100% of your job, is talking to people about memberships, is answering questions about memberships. A lot of the time, the same questions have been asked before. It's creating content just about memberships. It's answering customer support queries about memberships. How does that sound? Some people, boom, not for me. I don't like, the idea of doing that is the most boring thing that I can imagine. For some people, that sounds like heaven. That sounds like their perfect job to just be able, day in, day out, to eat, sleep, live and breathe this singular topic and serve this singular community. If the idea of being that person, doing that, needing to show up and serve on a day-to-day basis. If that puts you off, if that terrifies you, if you get bored easily, if you want to be, you know, 
fingering all different kind of pies. You don't want to be in a particular niche or anything like that. You don't like getting locked down. Memberships aren't for you. Memberships are a long-term commitment for you and for your members. So they're not something you get into lightly. They're not something that you get into because they're the flavor of the month or because your business coach told you or some guy with a strange northern accent on a podcast (laughs) made them sound awesome. Like you've got to know what you're getting into and you've got to love the idea of this being your world and it's not a bad thing if you don't but if you don't don't get into memberships because it's not something you just you know pack up your shop and go home after six months because you're bored because the whole idea of membership is you want people to stick with you for months and years to come but if you're not in it for the long haul then you're probably not going to attract the right people anyway and even if you do then you're screwing them over if you kind of leave them in the lurch a few months in because there's another does that happen a lot then it doesn't happen as as much and i like to think that we have a part in that because i spend more time talking people out of starting memberships than i do talking them into them because they're not easy and they're particular they can be real difficult at the beginning it's kind of you've got to push that boulder before it builds that momentum and you know financially we talk about recurring revenue Recurring revenue compounds over time, but that does mean that for the first three to six months, you're probably not going to be making enough money, right? So they are difficult in that initial initial period. And I think we we do quite a good job of kind of putting the putting the reality of memberships out there. Unfortunately, there's one or two others in the space, and we're blessed to be kind of in a space where there's not there's not really that many big players with pedigree. There's there's only one or two of us in the space. Others in the space paint a, quite a cheery, aspirational picture of memberships and they kind of gloss over the work mm-hmm. and they, you know, they talk about, you know, how amazing will it be when you're making more money than you've ever made, you're working less than you've ever worked and your life has just changed and you're having so much impact in the world. That well, yeah, but the reality is it's work. It's a grind. It's a grind. Like, and actually, no, I'm not going to say grind. It can be a grind, but it's it's just a business. It's a business. It's like any business. It takes work. It takes time. It takes effort. Yes, the the work you do is better leveraged. You know, you're mm-hmm. not trading time for money. The stuff you create. Everything you add to your membership adds value to it versus if you work with clients, you do the work, that work's gone, you get paid once. With a membership, you do the work, you get paid over and over again. So it's a different kind of work. The output of those inputs is different. And yes, like right now, we make more in a month, probably more in a couple of weeks than we ever did in a salary job and we work less than we ever had. But we're five years in and... Mm. You know, is the whole thing of the overnight success that takes 10 years to get to. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we go to great lengths and make sure people understand this isn't a gimmick. It's not a get rich quick. It's not a flash in the pan. It's not what, it's not what these people with the cheesy aspirational videos of people running up a hill and <laughs> you can do it. And all it takes is the right idea. Like, it's work right? Like anything, you got to work at it. And it's a business, you got to approach it as a business, run it as a business. But if you love what you do, and if the answer to the question that we talked about before, whether the idea of just having this, this thing be your world excites you, then it can, it can be the most rewarding, most profitable, most enjoyable work that you'll ever do. 
Let's talk about some of the, those business aspects then, because you mentioned churn, you mentioned retention rate, lifetime value. What are some of the tactics you use to, to influence those, those metrics? Yeah, I mean, churn, retention, churn, it's crucial. Like memberships are a retention business. It starts day one, minute one. Like the second someone joins your membership site, the clock is ticking. So the most important thing for retention is new member onboarding. So the the experience someone has when they first join your site, what they see on the thank you page once you've taken their money, what they get in their inbox over their first few weeks. So we always kind of advise at the bare minimum, there's four parts to a member onboarding that everyone needs to have. You need to have a warm welcome on a thank you page. Usually that's a welcome video from you, from your team, that kind of just immediately gets rid of any potential for buyer's remorse. Because you'll know anytime you buy something online, there's always that little window immediately after where you get those little niggling doubts running through your brain about whether you've made the right call, should you have waited, or you're going to get what you paid for. So you need to squash those right away. And usually a, a friendly, warm welcome video that thanks someone for joining, lets them know they're in the right place, lets them know that they belong and points them to what happens next. That's the first thing everything needs. Second, you need some form of orientation. You need to induct people into your site and show them around, show them where everything is. That can, again, it can be a video or there are interactive tools these days that will actually take you click by click through a website and show you where the courses are, where the community is, what to do if you have a problem, how to manage your account. The less time someone has to spend trying to figure all this stuff out and trying to orientate themselves, the more time or the more likely it is that they're actually going to get stuck into using your site. Because if someone doesn't actually use your site and start getting results, they're not going to use it for very long. And if their initial experiences of, of your site are frustrating ones because they can't quite figure out where they're meant to go, then that's going to sour their impression of your membership throughout the probably very short time that they'll they'll remain a member. So you need that orientation as a second step. Third thing you need is a set of actions that you need, that you want them to take first. So break down the, the ideal steps that you would, if you could control every member, if you would be sat next to them, what would be the first four or five things you would have everyone do in order to get them into the habits that are conducive to them staying long-term? So that might be setting up their profile on your site. It might be introducing themselves in your community. Again, we talk about community being so important. If you get people to make that first step and get off that hurdle of actually posting, then again, that is conducive to them remaining a member. It might be getting them to consume kind of a, a foundation course, maybe a short course that every new member should take. So what those first steps should be will depend. It'll be different for every sort of site. But you need to look at, what are the habits you want people to get into and what actions should they take on day one that make it more likely that they'll do that. So boil down four or five of those steps and present them as an activity for people to complete. So that might be a checklist, a downloadable PDF. It might be a new member course that you have everyone watch. Give it as an activity that they need to complete. And then from there, you need kind of a, a follow-up 
series, uh, follow-up email series as well. So a new member autoresponder series where you're checking in with them via email throughout their first couple of weeks. You're opening that dialogue, you're pointing them towards maybe features or sections of your membership that they might not be aware of. You're Again, just even just making sure everything's okay, giving them little bonus tips on how to get the most out of your site, or maybe an unexpected piece of bonus content. Like everyone likes getting a little extra freebie, right? If you deliver to them something they weren't expecting and it's a value, then again, that's going to go a long way towards forming those positive first impressions. And then as you get towards the end of that initial, we also say the initial billing period, the initial commitment period. So the end of their two-week trial or the end of their first month. So you're coming to that point where they're going to make that initial decision, should I stay, should I go? Then the emails that you're sending to them in your follow-up series, they need to start talking a bit more about what's coming up. So you need to start future pacing mm-hmm. the communication. So telling them what courses are in the pipeline, telling them which experts are coming in next month, giving them a link to book onto next month's live member Q&A. That creates a little bit of fear of disconnect, a little bit of pain of disconnect. Because without that, without talking about what's coming up, someone's initial decision on whether they want to stay or go is going to be entirely about what they've had so far. But if you start signposting the future value of your membership, that decision then also needs to consider what they'll miss out on if they leave. And that can be the difference maker if someone's on the fence of whether to stick around. So for your for retention, that onboarding piece is, is so, so critical. What I talk about there is the bare minimum. Every membership should have those four elements, the warm welcome, so usually a welcome video, the orientation, the first action steps, and the the follow-up email series. And then you build on that. So ours now for Membership Academy is a lot more sophisticated. So we include a new member, a dynamic new member questionnaire that essentially is a recommendation engine on where they should start out. We send personal welcome videos. So you build on that to make sure that those first 30, 60, 90 days are positive ones, that initial experience is a memorable one that stands out and also, more importantly, gets them into the habits that are conducive to people staying long-term, consuming content, posting in your community, getting results, sharing those results, all those kind of things make it more likely someone will stick around. So would you say that when you start a membership, you kind of have to wait for a period of time to judge whether it's successful or not because of those retention metrics being what sounds like the key to determining whether it's successful or not. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's kind of that frustrating thing. Churn is a lagging indicator. So if you start a membership and then six months in, you realize that you have a shocking churn rate and people are leaving after three or four months, then the cause of that churn is something that probably started, the problem started three or four months prior. So that lagging indicator does kind of present a little bit of a chicken and egg situation. The truth is, though, in in, in all but the most extreme cases, you're not going to have such horrendous churn that uh, it can't kind of be fixed. You know, broadly speaking, on average, when people talk memberships, you, you often hear the myth that people leave on average after three months, that's nonsense. The average is closer to about nine to 10 months. 
And uh, it's very, very rare that you'll see a situation where someone wouldn't be able to reasonably expect that their retention rate would be around that ballpark. But even even if you're hitting 9 to 10 months on average, there's still a lot of room for improvement. So unless, and this is why we're going back to what we talked about at the beginning, validating your idea, if you validated your idea, if you have marketed your membership the right way so you haven't made it out to be something it isn't you haven't over promised and under delivered you haven't used over the top false scarcity tactics to pressure people into joining before they're ready like if you've done i don't even want to say if you've done things right but if you've avoided doing things that are just so clearly wrong (laughs) then you'll extremely rarely find a situation where you're going to get two months in and you've, all your members are just disappearing. And of course, you're going to be marketing your membership on an ongoing basis as well. So the idea is always to be bringing in more new members than you, you lose. But at the same time, you want to be bringing down the, the number of members who are leaving as well. So you guys have done a number of surveys of your members who have membership sites and industry surveys. What's the website? People can go check them out and again. I remember you talking. I was hoping you weren't going to ask me for stats there because you'll really be testing my memory. I'm pushing 40 now. Um, yeah, if they go to membershipbenchmarks.com, right. then that will redirect them to a page where they can download last year's industry report. There's no email opt-in. There's none of that. We're, we're purely just interested in getting the numbers out there and, and increasing the understanding of this this market because we see people beating themselves up because they've got 7% churn in their membership and they think they're doing something terribly wrong and that that comes from just a lack of understanding of of how online memberships perform because actually 7% churn you're doing a lot of things right yeah. so yeah it's it's membershipbenchmarks.com you download that for free and uh, yeah there's a lot of a lot of real interesting stuff in there a lot of stuff that kind of took us a little by surprise a few things but also a lot that kind of added credence to the stuff we've been saying all along too so it's yeah some really good facts and figures there you guys should uh, should should check it out for sure let's talk now about tech setup it's my understanding that there's basically two approaches to this. There's the kind of all-in-one done-for-you tool, and then there's the sort of self-hosted WordPress with a bunch of plugins mashed together approach. Is that correct? Which approach is best? Yeah, the third way is completely custom, which is very expensive, and you want to be sure that what gets built is going to sustain your needs for a long, long time because. We've seen people spend six figures on a membership and then a year later decide that they want a whole bunch of new features and that costs them another six figures. So, yeah, that's the third way. We usually don't touch that one because, yeah, it can get very expensive. But, yeah, broadly speaking to the average person, you're either going to go with an all-in-one, what we call a hosted platform like Kajabi or Simplero or 10x Pro, Kartra, these are, it's software as a service where they have a set amount of features and you pay them a monthly fee and you don't need to install anything, you don't need to worry about anything. You just bring your content, send your traffic and hopefully they join. They're good. I mean, you know, platforms like Kajabi is great. Simplero is is fantastic. Simplero Simplero's a little more geared towards memberships than Kajabi is. Kajabi sways a little more towards courses, but they're both both solid platforms. 
what you get in the alleviation of tech headaches, you have to balance out with a loss of control and flexibility. So you need to understand when you use something like one of those platforms that you don't decide what features your website is going to have. The feature set, the look, the feel is all controlled and you, if you decide you want to add gamification, so you want to add badges and stuff, and the platform you've chosen doesn't have it, you can't just send a quick message and say, could you do me a favor? Could you add this feature in? Because nine times, um, not even nine times out of 10, like 999,000 times, <laughs> like <laughs> they're going to say no because any sort of changes to that platform, they need to consider the thousands of other people running sites on that platform. Whereas if you're going down the self-build route, which generally means WordPress, WordPress is the most popular content management system in the world. So it generally means WordPress with a membership plugin, usually a learning management system plugin like Lyft or LMS or LearnDash. If you want community, that's another piece of software. If you want gamification, that's another piece. So you have a lot more flexibility because it's a lot more modular. If you don't want gamification, you don't have the gamification plugin installed. If you don't want a community, you don't install that plugin. If you're not having courses, you don't need to have a plugin installed for that. So it's a lot more modular, you've got a lot more control, but with that means a lot more moving parts. If you're setting it up yourself, rather than having a developer doing it for you, then it requires you to be a, little more, a lot more tech savvy. But what you get in exchange for that is control security in terms of knowing that some third party is not going to decide actually you know what we don't want to run this service anymore or we don't have this feature anymore so as of this date or increase their price yeah i mean there was a platform called rainmaker from the guys at copyblogger i love those guys copyblogger are great one of the first one of the earlier kind of online business online marketing blogs there was but they had this platform called rainmaker which was a, a hosted membership platform and it wasn't a cheap one either and they just decided after a couple of years that they just didn't want to do it anymore. And so if you had, if you built your membership, you built your business on their rented land, then you were screwed. You had like a few months to like just go away. And they, another company since bought it and then brought it back several years later. But like it's just been a non-starter because the trust is gone. But anyway, so there's always that risk when you're building on someone else's land. It's called digital sharecropping that someone's just going to pull the rug out from under you. Whereas if you're self-building with WordPress or what have you, You've got control of the database, you've got access to the files, you can move to a different host if your one is letting you down. You can hire a developer to bring something in to add something custom to fix something that's broken. Whereas, you know, if, if you're using Kajabi and Kajabi has a bug, you've got to wait until they fix it. You can't just call up your developer friend and say, hey, I'll give you a few hundred bucks if you go in and fix that for me now because it's causing me problems in my business. There's trade-offs. And the trade-offs are usually control versus ease and speed of execution, security versus playing by someone else's rules. And yeah, it's, it's, I always lean towards self-build with WordPress and, and plugins just because I'm not a fan of building on someone else's land. I've seen too many instances where it's gone wrong. But if you have the resources to get a developer to do it for you, go down that route if you can, simply because you know, I'll see people spending like a week trying to figure out this little problem on their website and they have no chance of figuring it out because like it's it's too advanced for them. Whereas if they paid, you know, 
40 bucks to a service like wpfixit.com, they would have gone in there and got it sorted within five minutes. But that week of someone whose time was better spent elsewhere, like if they if they just paid the money to get a, someone who knows what they're doing to sort it out, then how much better could they have used that time that they're trying to figure it out? So yeah, anyway. Is there any kind of exit plan for memberships? I mean, do people sell their membership sites? It seems type of business model that's quite dependent on the, the owner in a, in a way. Death. That's an extra plan, death. No, that's. <laughs> um, I need to. I need to kind of stop saying that. It's a little too <laughs> flippant. We've actually had members kind of say, "What's your extra plan?" Like death. I'll be gone. It won't matter. No, you do have people selling their memberships. We've one of our members actually has literally just come to the end of a quite a lengthy process of selling her membership. It's a cake decorating membership, but that a one that's like a, a seven figure. Uh, membership and she sold she was originally it was a competitor of hers who wanted to buy her out and that fell through because he by all accounts was a bit of a dick and just kept moving the goalposts but from that she she hadn't had the intention to sell but that actually moved her to a place where she decided that's what she wanted to do and she found someone else who's bought it and now has taken it over the fact that when you've created content that content is then, it's done, it's added to an archive, it's, it'll hold as much value to someone today as it might have done three years ago when you first released it. That kind of does make a content-based membership probably a little easier to sell because even if you're gone, the outputs of what you did in your time here are still there. The big difference is obviously you're not then going to be in the membership anymore. So it's there's a lot more to take care of if you do want to sell a membership in terms of communication and kind of expectation shaping with your community. Sometimes we see some people, they'll either sell a membership or take on a partner and there's an arrangement for kind of an overlap period where you essentially, the founder remains kind of almost employed or obligated for a certain period of time to, to kind of have the transition from them being the figurehead to someone else being the figurehead. But I would they're harder to sell in terms of delivery the more the membership is centered around you and your presence. And not every membership is like that. So I would say it's easier to sell if you knew that that was the exit play going in. If you know that that's the exit play going in, factor for it. Don't rest too much of your value proposition on your own shoulders. If you want to make a feature of your membership access to an expert on this topic, consider having two or three other people or guest experts that you bring in, you pay to create content. So again, it's not it's not about, I'm joining this membership to get access to Mike and it's, it's the Mike Morrison membership. And then if I disappear, well, why the hell am I still a member? So factor that in and have a thought about, is this something you would want to exit or is this something where you are actually creating it essentially as a lifestyle business, as a business where you will be happy for years on end creating content, serving this community. If you don't want to do that or if you want to make sure that there's scope for you to sell, then you would definitely want to design your value proposition to better facilitate you not being in the mix. 
and and same for your same for your branding and stuff like that. One of our old clients, one of our most successful past clients, a guy called Scott Devine, has got scottsbaselessons.com. We've had this conversation so many times about his name in the title of the membership. It's scottsbaselessons.com. So if Scott wasn't there anymore, then that's obviously going to affect the value proposition. Now, his membership does have a, a faculty of educators and teachers who create courses and do workshops, but his name is still on the marquee. It can be, that can hamper an exit. Although that said, you know, you've got Tony Robbins, like how much of Tony Robbins' output and product actually has Tony Robbins like in the mix. So you can balance it, but it can be a little tricky. Okay, thanks. This has been really, really interesting, actually. Mm. I feel like I really learned a lot doing this interview. Uh, Is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? Oh, man, this is literally only the second time I've been asked this question on a podcast and I was as stumped then as I am now. (laughs) No, you know what? I think we've covered covered enough for anyone who's listening who is considering going into the membership world. I think anything else is going to distract from the important things of A, understanding what type of business model this is. It's a retention business model, and it's the one way you've got to be in it for the long run. So you need to know that before you go in, because that will affect the likelihood of whether this is the right model for you. And the stuff about making sure you built a following, making sure you built an audience and validated your idea. I think they're the most important things for people who are making that decision going in. I'm so glad we've not talked about sales or marketing. So, so glad because... That's the stuff that actually is much further down the list than all the things we've already talked about. But unfortunately, it's the thing that people usually focus on the most. Like, how do I get new members? How do you sell anything? How do you market anything? So yeah, I think we've I think we've covered the right stuff. We've done a good job. Okay, so Mike's website is themembershipguys.com. Are there any particularly interesting blog posts, piece of content, lead magnets, videos you guys have on your website that you think people listening to this show should go and check out? Yeah, so if you go to the website, you'll be able to kind of filter down some of the hand-picked content according to where you are on your journey. I would say download our membership roadmap, which is kind of our sort of almost high-end overview of all the steps you need to take to get a membership up and running and running well. That'll give you it'll give you enough to kind of work with to get far enough into this to start making some progress. So yeah, all that's on the homepage. And also if I may, one of the best places to be is our free Facebook group. We've got about, I think we're closing in on 16,000 people in that group now. Membership site owners, myself, Callie, the team, people from our paid membership, they're still in the Facebook group. And you can reach that by going to talkmemberships.com. I love these uh, .com redirects to all your pieces of content. Honestly, I'm totally stealing this idea. Well, I stole it. I've got to give credit. I stole it from Jill Stanton from Screw the 9 to 5. She gave me that tip. We had uh, her husband on the, the podcast yeah, Josh, actually, a couple years yeah, ago. Jill gave me that tip back in like 2015, 2016. And that was very much, same with you, I'm stealing that, I'm taking that. We do that for all of them. So our podcast is membershippodcast.com. Uh, the Facebook group, talkmemberships.com. Yeah, you've got to, when you're doing podcasts, when you're doing video, you've got to have a good verbal call to action that's memorable versus me saying, go to facebook.com slash groups slash 
I don't even know what it is now. <laughs> yeah, that was. I'd love to take credit for it, but that was that was chill. If you are driving to work in your car listening to this, we will put all of those links on the show notes for this episode so you can always find them later. Thank you, Mike, very much for coming on this show. Great, great to have you on here. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being a, a great podcast host. Maybe we can do this again further down the road where I'm sure you'll think of some more questions. Sure, sounds good. Thanks to everyone for listening or watching if you're watching on YouTube. If you enjoyed this, don't forget to give us a thumbs up, like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. We'll be back next Monday with another episode. See you then.